Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I'm here with my long-suffering producer, Dan Vettabunker, uh, our co-host, Justin Curry, known the world over as Chasing Artwork, is away in a secret location. <laughs> I don't want to say where he is. <laughs> no, okay. secured in a hotel room <laughs> many miles from here uh-huh. uh, while his uh, significant other attends their day job. He decided to sequester himself, took his entire art rig, his Cintiq, his hard drives, his everything, and he is uh, living, on, as far as I know, living on... Uh, room service and working around the clock. He's just living off of those little mints they live on the pillow. I think so. They come in, <laughs> they brush him off from crumbs, they yeah. leave a mint on his pillow, That's and fine. they leave. So he is not here today, but we don't need him, Dan. You sure? Excuse me. Yes, because okay. you've got the best radio voice of all three of us <laughs> anyway. All right. Sure, let's do it. What are we going to talk about? Um, something that's your fault. Oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, I guess my fault, but it, it's a good thing, right? So yeah, that, that implies that it would be a bad thing, but I think this is a good thing. Uh, you were recently involved with Gamatoba. Let's talk about that. So yeah, January 27th, 28th, 29th, um, I went to Gamatoba. We should actually roll back the calendar a little bit. Oh, talk to, about why it's my fault? Yeah, how to place blame on Dan. All right. right. Which is... Really, a producer's role is to be blamed for things. But in this case, you posted on your social media, um, you know, has anyone ever heard of Game of Toba? If you don't know about Game of Toba, you should, and check it out. And so, based on that, I was like, well, I literally make tabletop role-playing games. How have I not heard of Game of Toba? I felt so ashamed. They hadn't been, they hadn't happened for a couple of years, so I felt a little bit better about it. I reached out. First, I checked their website, and I couldn't believe that there was a three-day convention where people could play and experience and test and play test all kinds of different tabletop games, role-playing games, but also just co cooperative, fun, rules-light things that you could sit down and do for two hours. Right. For three days long, I felt a little bit ashamed. Like, I had been <laughs> in the comics cave for so long that I hadn't looked around in the other places where my people might be. Oh. And so you posted this thing, and I was like, well, this must be new. Oh, it's not it's, new. It, it kind of is, though, because there was a convention. Like, we had a gaming convention for a while called GymCon uh, yes. that ran, I believe, in the same place that this one is in. And it was, again, similar kind of a thing. Um, but, again, it stopped running. Uh, this is pre-pandemic, and I believe Game of Toba at least had one or two um conventions before the pandemic before right. all that stuff came out so they did run a couple times and and great people like i've i've been in, i've just known them through you know doing fan quest and and being involved in other things and uh seeing them at events they've been an icon and other things as well and they're just awesome because they show up uh i had them at fan quest they show up they've got a ton of games they got so many games and they'll just show up, and you can play whatever you want, and you can, they'll explain the rules to you. They'll play it with you. They'll play through. These guys just love tabletop games so much. They'll just play for hours, and they well, would keep going if you didn't make them stop. And shout out to Amusing Games and to uh, Game Night, both shops yeah. in the city, which Game of Toba made a point during the event a number of times of thanking them for donating so many games to their – they have what's called the Vault. 
Ah. And so anytime someone wants to, when there's an open table space, they can go to the vault, they can borrow one of the games that's there and take it for a test drive with a group of friends or a group of complete strangers, which is one of the things I most want to talk about, I think, about my experience at Game of Toba. So a little context for the dear listener. We mostly talk about comics. We mostly talk about movies and things. I've hinted at the role-playing game aspect of my secret other lives. Um, but my relationship with tabletop gaming, i.e. Dungeons and & Dragons and things like that, goes all the way back to my grade seven, grade six, grade seven transition year. It's a big year when you're a kid. What uh, the dear listener and what Dan, producer Dan might not know is that I lived outside of the city and I spent a lot of time with my dear friend Stuart and his parents had horses and they would go horseback riding all the time. And occasionally, uh, we would muck about that way too. But one day they came back from a horseback ride and they said, someone threw this out of a moving vehicle. And so we picked it up because we were pissed off that they were throwing trash into the ditch as one might imagine. And it was a whole bunch of eight and a half by 11 heavy cardstock cards that had weird titles like, um, you know, Serpent of the Dungeon or Tomb of the Necromancer. And each card had kind of this story to it. Now, keep in mind, I had never heard of Dungeons & Dragons. I didn't even know such a thing existed. And so what we discovered was this bag full of role-playing game stuff. But neither Stuart's parents nor we knew about it or had been playing or knew anything yeah. about it. Okay. And so they said, why don't you guys take this? This looks like the stuff you're into. You're always reading fantasy novels. You're yeah. always reading all the stuff. We were d adjacent in our entire Yeah, upbringing. you didn't know it was there, but, but it was, yeah. It was ripe for us. Right. right? And so I, I took these cards home. I want to just, I want to just, I want to really reiterate here. I'm on the top of my bunk bed reading through these cards that seem like. You said eight and a half by 11, so like the size of a page yeah, paper? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cardstock. And it was a map on one side. And on the flip side, it was like room-by-room room descriptions of like monsters and things that would happen if PCs, which I didn't know was player characters, it was all abbreviations, right? Yeah. And it had stuff for armor class, I didn't know it then, and Thacko, to hit armor class zero for those initiates of second edition d d It were these one-page adventure sheets. But not knowing any of that, to me, it was like the production notes for a novel or a video game Sure. Unproduced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to know, just to pause for a second, I just want to know what the circumstances were that led to that bag of cards I being know. thrown out. Of, I'm like, what, were they having an argument? Is it somebody get angry? You spent too much time with this stuff. God, get it out of here. And they well, just threw it remember, out the, the 80s, <laughs> satanic panic. Ah, uh, yes, that's true. There was yes. a big push yeah. to say that uh, using your imagination, you know, that's not how they characterized it, but, you know, they said that, and that they, in this case, being religious pundits. The, mor the moral majority. Yeah. Right? Saying that uh, games like Dungeons & Dragons open up children to the idea of monsters and devils. And once they know, the, uh, know what a devil is, then a devil can reach them. Mm. And so then they'll be manipulated right. by Satan. That's true. So yeah, somebody was upset that they found this in their kid's room That's and what threw it, it out like. the window. Yes. Okay. Well, at least it found a home. Right? right? It did find a home. So whichever parent... Took that from their kids. Thank you, because you started a lifelong <laughs> obsession with using my imagination. Yeah. And so I went through reading these cards, like just pouring over them, trying to figure out what they were. Now, remember, no internet. Yeah. Right? No message boards, no nothing. 
And so Stuart and I were talking on the phone to be like, what do you think this means? What do you think that is? And it was then that, and in those days, things had their copyright information right. printed on them very carefully. And so you would read and try to figure out what this was. And the copyright information, as I recall, was to TSR, right? And that didn't mean anything to us. Couldn't Google it either. Couldn't Google it either. Nope. And so we didn't know what these things were, but man, did we want to know. Yeah. Right? Man, did we want to know. And then Stuart ended up bringing it to his uh, cousin, who was like, oh, this is D&D stuff. Here, I'll lend you a bunch of books. And we didn't know still about any of this. Summer is about to roll around. So Stuart's going away for the summer. I'm going away for the summer. And he says, here, take this book. He gives me a player's handbook. Right? Second edition, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, player's handbook. And he says, you read this one. You'll play when we get back from summer break, I'll read this one, the DM guide, the Dungeon Master's guide, and we'll figure out what to do. Yes, I told you it could be done. You have the power of the immortals. You can control dragons. Back in those days, I often would spend the entire summer out at the cabin, basically alone. Right. right? My parents were there, and they were very, they were great parents, but when you're a kid, you're just in your own head. And so reading this book cover to cover and imagining what it's all going to be like, and it would make reference to what was in the Dungeon Master's Guide, of which I had no access to. Yeah. And so it was just all this potential energy building up all summer, building characters and figuring out stuff until, at long last, we got together and used our imaginations. And man, did we get it so wrong when we actually met people <laughs> who knew what they were doing. It was sweet. You guys were, made up your own rules to D&D. 100%. &D &D. <laughs> awesome. We were just trying to interpret bad writing. You know, not bad, but best to the best of our ability. Bad understanding right. and pretty complicated writing. Rules have come a long way. Yeah. Explain that kind of stuff. So it started essentially an obsession where at least once a week, if not more often, from grade seven until like now, uh, we've gotten together with a group of friends or sometimes online now and run regular sessions. And my uh, desire to design games and make my own games has not rested. It just hasn't slid into the public sphere. I've designed probably at this point 20 or 30 different role-playing game right? systems. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. None of which were, to me, the thing I was looking for. Yeah, I played one of them, though. You played a version, yes. Yeah. And now we are at a place where the one that I know works with young kids, old kids, university, um, literary snobs, uh, video game, uh, never read a books, right? All, everyone gets it. Everyone understands the rules really quickly. And I was really happy to then be in a position just by chance, by calendar, to have enough copies of our playtest editions of Danger in the Details to then when I was booking Game of Toba, one of the things they said was, we don't have any vendor spaces left, but if you want to run a table, sponsor a table and run games the whole weekend as a local game designer, you could. Which to me was like, wait. So basically I would run role-playing games three days straight. Yes. And you guys will organize the schedule. Yes. And people will, using an app, Pick when they're going to come. Yes. And all I have to do is write a little description, a little tag of what's going to happen in those two-hour slots. Yes. And you're going to organize all of it, right? If they were like, that's what we do. That's what the convention is. Dan, I had such a good time. Oh, that's awesome. I wrote a story arc description that basically described the complete collapse of civilization at the hands of uh, 
Elder Gods in a two-hour, in two-hour little episodes uh, set in Midnight City, which Midnight City, which is a setting inside Danger of the Details, at least the core book, where I, I brought one there for you to look at. Yeah, so this is like based on Midnight City, which is like a previous, previous that's season. That's the graphic novel series that I did. So yes. you could like just say that's the source material for this? It's my version. So the way I think of it as Midnight City is the story I wrote using these same ingredients. Mm -hmm. right? So somebody else could write a different story using completely the same ingredients. Different. Okay. Yeah, yep. completely different. And so the first hundred pages of it are just characters, uh, weird characters, weird heroes from a faux 1920s to 1940s kind of pulp era. The it, heap. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are like the heap straight from the public domain. The heap was the character that... Uh, inspired Swamp Thing and oh, Man Thing. Interesting. Right? Yeah. And some are uh, complete uh, original characters of mine that I just kind of snuck in because they felt really pulpy. And others are uh, adaptations of other pulp characters that have kind of been updated or, or altered. And uh, then there are also hundreds of pages of settings and monsters. And it's basically a gigantic notebook. And the... the the way the rules work, very simply, is that players add details to certain scenes and the narrator adds details to certain scenes. And when both groups have enough details in the scene to make it worthwhile, you roll these dice, which is the danger dice, and then determine what happens as a result. So it made it very simple for young, old, like I said, all varieties of people who, said, who popped by Game of Toba and said, hey, do you have space at the table? I'd say yes. They're like, okay, because normally you have to book. I'm like, well, we had four people, but if you want to pull up two more chairs, jump in. How long does it take to make a character? Three minutes. How long does it take to participate in the game? As soon as you sit down, you're in it. And so it was a really wild ride for me to watch complete strangers meet each other, become a cohesive group, tell a story that had a beginning, middle, and end, all within a little hour and a half time slot, and then stay connected for the whole game of Toba and then come back and say, hey, we want to play another chapter with those characters. Hey, we want to do something else. That's so pretty cool. This one guy came and he was like, you know, I loved the way my guy died in the last one. He set it all up so that his character would have this dramatic, horrific death. <laughs> yeah. And when he came back, he's like, I want to play. Can you, is it okay if I play again? Absolutely. Who are you thinking of playing? He's like, I want to play. And his character, by the way, he played this character called The Clock. Okay. And the clock had this magical pocket watch. It could freeze time. Was killed horribly in the previous chapter. He said, I want to play the coroner that finds that magic watch and is now the new clock. Trying to find his way, trying to be a new hero. He played oh, this grizzled cool. old veteran so he hero. The story. And that's then he interesting. continued his own story. with. Yeah. And so there was all these things that I just would not have, could never have planned for, based completely on the types of people who sat down to just try something totally new. I haven't laughed that hard and that long for a good while, Dan. Wow. And I have Game of Toba to thank for that and the organizers of that because they made such a great event where people just came and felt so free to meet strangers and sit down and just have a shared experience. And I think part of it was that even though I'm not big on like really careful, organized, slotted, you know, minutes uh, associated, the app, what it did, was it gave people the freedom to not have to ask if there was a spot they could book it, mm -hmm. not have to have the awkward, like, 
introduction moment of like, oh, I, I'd like to play with you guys. All that stuff. Can I play guys? Right? All this stuff that adults find very challenging without a drink most times. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Was all offloaded onto the app. They booked their spot. Their What's the app called? Do you remember? They just had it built into their website. Oh, okay. Like so they, a, oh, cool. So this maybe is app is the wrong description. I apologize, Game of Toba. But it, their website functioned very well to okay. allow you to book where you were, when you were. But on your phone, right? You're using right. Some, yeah, yeah. So mobile using, app. Excellent. Yeah. Perfect. And so I didn't, I was new to Game of Toba, but there were some old veterans there. So as soon as I got there, someone told me like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm here for the session. I was like, oh. And then three other people showed up and said, yeah, I'm here for your session. I was like, oh, how does that work? I like, did not know. Mm. But it was so well organized that I didn't need to know. <laughs> when I asked them, everyone who knew was like, oh, yeah, here, let me show you. I'll walk you through all the steps. And the organizers did the same thing. They're like, look, you can see every hour how many people have booked. And, you know, if you want to block one out, if you feel like overdone, you have the power as the person running your table to say, I need a lunch break or I need a whatever. Oh. You can like, swipe it from the calendar. Uh, I didn't. I was having too much fun. Yeah. I just, yeah. How many sessions did you do? I basically ran, I felt like 15-year-old Greg. I basically ran a session from Friday at like 4 o'clock and ran sessions nonstop till Sunday at 4 o'clock. <laughs> and the game of Tobo goes till midnight on Saturday and Friday. So like right to midnight, go to sleep. I just, my cup runneth over with just creativity and good times and laughs and even if people were um, not all the way invested, the fact that they were only there for a short time meant they went all in, even if it wasn't their thing. And one guy who just absolutely blew us all away, he was using voices, he had the plot all figured out, he, was, he held space for this little kid that came to the table who also wanted to be, he kept like throwing great ideas towards him so that the kid could like pick it up and like carry it. At the end of the session, he says, that was my first time ever playing a tabletop role-playing game. And oh. like the entire table was like, come on, you're a ringer. What are you talking about? He's like, no, I just, I've never been to Game of Toa. I saw a website. I thought it'd be fun to meet new people. And he was, you know, it was wild to see adults with just the thinnest framework say, ah, here's a safe place to use my imagination. Especially now after the, after the, what everything we've been through, I've found that, Interacting in real life has has not been great. Uh, in the, oh, right? I know. Right, we're still yeah. kind of weird. We're still kind of oh, like I figuring know. things out or getting back to quote unquote normal, as as, as they say. So that's great to hear that 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 event came together that well, and everyone just kind of showed up and bought into what they're doing and just said, okay, let's let's have fun and play games all weekend. Yeah, right. And and one of the for people who are interested, who are maybe a local designer or have like a uh, a secret card game that they've been developing or designing if you um uh book a designer table like host the table for the weekend then you're allowed to sell your games and your stuff from that table between sessions so it also turned out to be pretty good that people who wanted to you know the copies that i brought i sold out of completely in fact i had to hold on to a set um so that I had enough to play with people who were interested. And then at the end, I said, you know, whatever I have left, people can come back. I didn't think anyone would come for a tattered old copy after like three days of people flipping through it, but they showed up. Make it easy on yourself. Give me what is mine. It was a humbling and character building experience, no pun intended, uh, to be at an event that was so honestly organized with the user in mind. 
It was so great. There wasn't like all these upsells or all these chase items or all this other stuff. There was just what it was. What it advertised to be is what you got. And if yeah. you showed up with that in mind, that's what was there. And all the volunteers were there to make it happen. And when people won a game, the other thing they had at Game of Tobo, which I have not seen before, maybe this is a common thing at game conventions. So I apologize if I'm just the new guy with the stars in his eyes. When people would win, they also had a, a wall where they would go and take people's photos uh, with the person who ran the game or with the game in their hands, and then they would all get entered into this big draw. They had a huge raffle of like games and stuff, which didn't cost people any more money to be involved in. They could just, if they were playing, and once in a while they would win or a kind DM would just bring everybody up so that they could get their photo, they'd all get entered into the raffle, and then that gave people a further reason to stay to the end because then, you know. They call it, they draw the name. Yeah, that's yeah, great. That's a great was, idea. I yeah. love it. It sounds like, this what it sounds like, just a bunch of great ideas coming together in an excellent event. Yeah, and it didn't bite off more than it could chew, at least not from the outside, like because it was running pretty smoothly from a, from a new guy who showed up who didn't know how it was supposed to run. The first volunteer they paired me with, they said, hey, this person's going to show you the ropes. He'll walk you around the whole event. He'll tell you how it all works, and then he'll bring you to your table. And that's exactly what happened. He knew where everything was, how it all worked, why it all worked, showed me where the table was, said if you had any questions, and then checked back later. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. To see if, you know, you got it figured out. So Game of Toba won my heart. Dan. Nice. Yeah. Well, it's great to hear. I mean, and so this is now officially in a release game that you sell and that you are out, is out on the market now? So, yeah. Tell, you know, if someone is interested to look at, they can, uh, if they Google uh, Danger in the Details, Midnight City, they'll probably find the Amazon link is where the easiest place to get it is right now. We're working on a deal with a couple of stores. This is something that is primarily, though, a tool, the Danger in the Details game. There's Danger in the Details, Midnight City, and then I have a fairy tale ending one and a Moon Patrol Um I'm using it mostly with schools right now. This is not a, not suitable for children. Well, the danger in the details one is definitely uh, <laughs> uh, what's the word I would say um, parental guidance. Why? What's what's in there that's not suitable? for The children? main image in there that I think makes it not suitable for children is there's an autopsy image oh, okay. where there's an open body with like a plant growing out of it. The kind of thing that if you're in grade one, you probably don't want to see. You can't unsee things. Right, 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 right. right. Um, And so I usually target it for uh, teenagers plus. But I will say a bunch of 10-year-olds showed up to Game of Toba and were, like, keen to play it. And their mom was there with them. And I said, okay, so, mom, I'm going to tell you what page to turn to. You're going to look. The kids aren't going to look yet. And you're going to tell me where this lands on the rating scale (laughs) for you as to how I will set the scenes for the adventure that we're about to have. And she was like, oh, this is the kind of thing you could describe, but I'd rather they not see, Mm, is how she put it. So it felt good. good. But then the other thing that happens is as soon as you put a little funny, not suitable for children tag on something, which I basically, uh, it's a copy, like it's a scan of an old public domain comic where it was labeled the same way during the panic that happened in the 50s about do comics make people evil? Right. First of all, first it was comics, then it was D&D, D&D later on. Right? So this <laughs> panic is like, I find hilarious. So yeah. my reason for putting this not suitable for children in the exact font, it's, a, it's literally a copy of that old sticker on the cover of mine, is kind of an F you mm-hmm. to that entire idea. Because, yes, there are things kids shouldn't see or be exposed to out of context. But in context, you can almost handle anything. 
Sure. Right. I would also say that that um, also says to me that it's not suitable to for children, which means it is suitable for me. That's right. That's that's what that conveys. Yeah. So that means that it's not for kids; it's for grown-ups, and that that's just fine by me. Right. The right. other side of it too, uh, which was funny to see at Game of Toba, is nothing makes kids want to look at something. <laughs> yes, right. More yeah. than that yeah. little sticker on yeah. it. So for sure, what is it? They want to go right to the page and know exactly what it is. You don't right. want them to see. But with da- so. with the Moon Patrol version of Danger in the Details, um, it's all robots and monsters, and and there's nothing. Um, there's no human shape that has been injured in mm. an illustration and so it's a lot easier to take that into middle schools right? so you could do this like with any of your properties really you could do like um like a imagination manifesto version and that kind well of stuff. the on the docket right now next are uh for me um automatic age i'm gonna complete oh, automatic yeah, yeah, age yeah. set yeah um and then i have a sword and sorcery one related to our shared world stuff that i'm gonna put together and then a revamp of the fairy tale ending one which uh with everything we learned from moon patrol and uh, the midnight city i'm just gonna do a redesign um and we've done we've tested the game as a structure as a just straight up role-playing game three to five people you know a couple hours a night kind of scenario with uh i've done it with about maybe 20 25 different groups of play testers but what they all had in common was they knew each other before they tested the game with me so game of tobo is this wonderful thing where nobody knew each other yeah right and then they also were trying to learn new rules together as strangers and to me that was the real test of whether or not the new rules were short enough concise enough and direct enough that people who didn't know each other and therefore don't really have time, right, uh, could get it, grasp it, right. and, and get get on with it. So I would set these timers, unbeknownst to my players, that uh, if we weren't up and running within seven minutes, I consider myself a failure. <laughs> okay. Right? Um, and I was batting about 50-50 by the end of Game of Toba, right? Usually it would take about 10 or 15 minutes, but I wanted to really get people in in under seven minutes. Um, and then the other thing I did at Game of Toba, which uh, lay, it turned out to be, I think, a good thing. I didn't tell people I had written it, illustrated it, or designed it when I was running it for them. So they sat down thinking that they were booking a person who was hosting a table and running a game that they hadn't made. Oh, okay. Right? I guess that would make sense, right? That's usually how it's done? Well, I would assume so? That's usually how it's done, so that's what people figured. Yeah. And I think what that gave me was a lot more honest feedback okay so they're, right? they're they don't worry about hurting your feelings that's right because they're like oh we're gonna try and i would say like okay we're gonna try this game these are how the rules are and i would occasionally refer to the rules that i had written out you know and so it didn't look like a person who knew everything it looked like a person who was following the ingredients yeah, yeah, yeah. right so and as a result uh people <laughs> little bird right yeah <laughs> Yeah, what Dan is doing is he's looking through. I'm looking uh, for things to to make fun of, um, but that's just like Robin, <laughs> right? That's just Robin. That Robin character is literally in there as a plot device. It's like, do you need a dead sidekick? There Here's you go. Your page. There you go. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's so. very cool. I really like this. I like this idea. And this is like this didn't exist when I played this version. No, of it not at all. No, more, well, a couple years ago, I guess it was at this point. Many of the art assets did exist. Yeah, much yeah, of yeah. the pieces. But what I was playing with. Um, Again, no pun intended, but what we were playing with was the idea of a narrative-based game where the rules are very strict, but the limits are non-existent. 
And what that does is it gives the narrator and the players a sense of what I can and cannot do given the turn that we're all taking together. Mm -hmm. How do I pay attention to the other players? How do I use what they're doing to get the most out of what I'm doing? In uh, game design, at least in tabletop games, you've probably heard the term min-maxing. Yeah. Where like you just you just take the best armor and you take the best class and you try to do the most damage and make sure your rolls. It basically eliminates min-maxing as a thing that you can do yourself. The only way to min-max is to pay attention to what other people are doing. And by using their details, you will get a bonus. But they will also receive that bonus as a result of you paying attention to what they're doing. We should play this on the podcast. I would love to. Yeah, yeah let's figure out how, how to do that. So we'll, we'll, we'll do that. I would love to. All right. Cool. Now, you've been up to something. I have, yeah. I've got a, a, a Meat House update. Um, I was oh, worried. That was I, the other thing I was going to say. What? You asked what's on the docket. The automatic age is on the docket for Danger in the Details. Um, my Sword and Sorcery one. And... A horror movie, 13 Horrors Collection. Oh, nice. It's also on my list of things to do by 2024 is to have a complete, like a, a brainstorm your own horror movie book. So talented, eh, Mr. Ridley? I've enjoyed our little chat, but now it's your time to die. I don't know why I'm scared of Justin more than you, but he feels like he's really holding me accountable. To this. It's like he was really going to be upset if I don't you know my what? deadlines. Because... So. Uh, He's being held accountable. <laughs> and that's what happens with stress, Dan. Is that right? Yeah. You you bottle it up and you deliver it to the person. You you he's under stress right. of deadline. He's transferring that stress to other And so he's now handing it to you. Yeah. But also transmuting into something useful. Yeah. Right? I Motivation. feel the stress. I'm gonna motivate Dan with the stress I right. feel. And that's motivating me because it does. Like as soon as I think of Oh crap! I'm going to record the podcast. I have to have something. I have to have something to tell him. That's right. So I write out. Justin asked for three pages. I wrote out. I mean, this is in the notebook. So two. Okay, let three me describe pages. to the dear listener. Dan took out of his. Oh yeah, this we book. didn't. We didn't. We lost this. Um, yeah, this a little episode. six by nine notebook. In the front of it is a drawing, which I believe uh, his daughter, My daughter did. did yeah, for, she did a concept art for the for the story. If um, you see a previous episode here. A previous episode that we did with Steven Kostansky called The Meat House. You can see where the origin of this idea came from. Uh, and Dan has decided that he is going to undertake to write a full script and treatment of this concept. And we've been holding him accountable for that. <laughs> so what I have new this week is um, I have nine scenes outlined as far as like what happens in them. Just little blurbs, very brief strokes as far as like here's the main action in this scene. Here are the things that have to happen in order for the story to progress. So basically I have our, I brought our, introduced all the characters, set up the scene. I'm not going to go through every detail. And at this point, I've got them uh, discovering the room. You remember we talked about a room. Mm. The red room is, is one way it's referred to in a lot of horror movies. But the room they have to find where all the secrets are, all the things are. Basically, I've got them to that point. You got them now. to the mystery box. Yes, I've got them there. Scene nine, uh, they're exploring the room. So that's really where I am. Maybe halfway through. I don't know. It depends on how long these scenes are. But I feel pretty good about that. I feel like that's a good, solid beginning. I have, I think, I could probably write the first scene right now if I just sat down in front of a computer because I have all the dialogue and stuff and exactly what I want to happen. You ever dictate? Uh, no, I've been trying to, th I've been thinking about that. Do you do that? Yeah. Yeah? It's great. How does that work? What do you do? Well, a few years back, it was awful. Okay, yeah. But the technology's gotten a lot better, oh, eh? Oh my goodness, it's so much better. And, and so, uh, for the dear listener also, I've been teaching... 
an after-school program online to a group of, well, it's like 80, some days it's 85 kids, um, where we do essentially the rules of danger in the details. They just don't know that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called The Classroom Story, and we're building narrative and story structure um, all the time. I lost the thread. Where was I going? You're talking about uh, class after school, and I don't know where you're going with that. There was a reason I brought this up. <laughs> there was a real clear reason. And and before, if I had drank this cappuccino before we started the podcast, that's okay. I'd be right there with you. It was what I was getting at. Uh, oh, structure, maybe that was it. Sure. Maybe story structure. Um, oh, that's why. Uh, there's a feature on the MS Teams that we're using that lets it transcribe. Oh, yes. We're talking about that. That's right. The audio. Yes. And so we turn on the transcribed audio. And it's... 80% there. Right? Yeah. It doesn't have the best vocabulary, and it tries. And if you're using anything from mythology or from um, cross-cultural references, it completely loses it. Okay. But if you're just doing straight dialogue, that's what we're talking about. Dan. Yeah, I was that thinking was about that. I lost was the use of technology <laughs> and narrative and transcripts, and that's why I brought that up. Because when I look back at two hours of teaching through my transcripts, it's fantastic. And when I sometimes... Uh, am on a long walk from the studio to home, I will just talk into my phone the dialogue that I have to write when I get home. So you just act out both sides of the conversation. That's right. Just act out both sides of the conversation. And then it goes into my notes function as a basically crappy first draft. Yeah. And then I copy it from my notes function into my word processing and then clean it up. Oh, okay. That's that's interesting. So uh, I had a recent experience with this when I was writing a story about um, transit, the Winnipeg buses, you know, obviously, not just Winnipeg, it's all kinds of cities that things are, bad things are happening on the bus right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's in bad shape. And so I read, a, I, I interviewed um, a professor from Simon Fraser University who's an expert in transit police and talking about security on buses. And it was a great interview, but it was really dense. It was like 20 minutes of this guy talking straight. And I'm like, oh my God, there's so much here. I, and I usually transcribe myself. I usually actually listen and type out wow. everything. I know. Yeah. It's exhausting. Uh, because usually my interviews are only like five minutes long and it's not a big deal. But for that kind of thing, I'm like, oh, I got to transcribe it. I got I can't sit there. So I looked at all these different services that offer this up and they're all expensive, really overly expensive, I think, and complicated. But then I noticed that Word, the new version of Word, has it. Yeah. So you can actually take, you can, uh, take an MP3 of this yeah. conversation Upload it to Word, and it will just transcribe the whole thing in there. And that's yeah. awesome. The same so. way that websites are... Now, I'll try not to get derailed by the thought of technology in our narrative <laughs> like I did the last time. But this time, I got it clear. QR codes. Yeah. If you look up how to make a QR code, you only get hundreds of websites that charge you for QR codes. Right. But if you go into Chrome and you just click on the right-hand side, there's a little widget there. It'll just give you one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's free. So they'll, all, they'll char- Yeah, everyone wants to charge you for it. Yeah. But- but all they're charging you for is your ignorance. Yes. Right. So those same <laughs> those same transcription services are charging you for their ignorance. You think they aren't putting it into Word and then sending it back well, to you? Well, I think I actually think that uh, other companies have forced Word to top its game. Right. Uh, I'm noticing this with the Grammar Checker as well. It's way better than it was a couple of years ago. Uh, Grammarly has forced them to do that. So. Anyway, that being said, I am I have thought about doing that, especially for the dialogue. If I can visualize a scene in my head and just want to act it out, I could do that and just dictate the dialogue. So I might I will try that, and I'll, I'll let you know how that goes. So yeah. yeah, that's a great idea. You know what's nice about it too is, at least what I found is I ha- if I have a character that I think I think of as thoughtful, yeah. right? What I'll tend to do 
is think about what they're saying and put all these unnatural pauses in because I want them to be thoughtful, so I'm thinking more carefully. Okay. It doesn't record that, really. It just puts the words there with all, all that yeah. nonsense and fade. And so when I then go back and see the transcript of someone that it took me 10 minutes to think about what they would have said in as a quippy response, Yeah. it really reads as uh. a quippy response. I'm like, oh, wow, that character is really clever, <laughs> right? It's like 10 minutes of Gregory processing comp compressed into this character's single bite of voice. <laughs> you don't like that, do you? Good. I could use every ounce of your rage. I did this this morning. Um... On the, before I was, I came to work. So I need to set aside some dedicated time you to actually. You codified it this morning. Yes, you've been thinking about it a lot. Yeah, I have been thinking about it a lot. Again, I, like I said, I can really. I think that first scene, I could just, I could just write it out right now, and I know exactly what would happen. Um, yeah, and I, again, the more I think it through, the more clear it becomes. Now I can see the danger in this is that I've been thinking so much about the beginning of this this thing, I have not thought enough about the ending. But of you it. know the end. You've described the I end to us a ending. number of times. Yes, yes. What I just know how do, to, don't know how to get there. Don't worry the about how to get there. Write down the ending. So a real problem that I think a lot of writers have when they're starting out is they feel like the ending is some kind of quest they have to reach before they're allowed to write it down. Okay. That's nonsense. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, they can't get there until they write everything else. Right. Nonsense. That's true. Yeah, write right. the ending down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then figure out the connective tissue. And if an idea occurs to you and you say to yourself, oh, I'm not there yet when I sat down to write, you're not going to come back again. Write it down. You're there on the ground looking at it. Your imagination yeah. gave you the gold. Dig it up. Put it aside. Fine. Figure out what order it goes in later. Yeah. So what I did here is I started with this and I wrote opening scene and then I went scene two, scene three, scene four. But what I really should do is skip ahead and go closing scene. Yeah. Or, or like it won't be the closing scene, right? It'll be the concluding, like the the conclusion of the action right. rather. Uh, and that's another thing is I'm not following any of that kind of stuff. Although I am aware of things like the story circle and that kind of thing. That's... I'm not thinking of that. I'm just kind of thinking this through as it comes to me. And I think because I've seen so many movies and I'm so aware of this stuff, it just kind of is coming naturally. Dan Harmon's story wheel, um, the hero's journey, you know, Joseph Campbell, um, save the cat, all this stuff. <laughs> These are tools of distillation. They're not tools of creation. Right. Right? Just so, to help you get in the right frame yeah, mindset. No, no, but this is what I'm saying. They're tools of distillation. You have to have something before you can distill it down right. oh, to fit around the story wheel. Yeah, you have yeah. to have something before you can distill it down to fit the Save the Cat, right? You have to have something. I'm not familiar with Save the Cat. So just gather, right? The point here, right? <laughs> Uh, is just gather the ingredients. Okay. Right? Before you try to distill it, you have to have the ingredients. You know? I'm going to write that down. You have to go out. Okay, so I come from a long line of uh, uh, non-medicinal, I will stress, mushroom pickers. Okay. Right? Thanks My for stressing that. grandmother, yeah, we're not out there looking for psilocybin. We're just looking for mushrooms for our stew, right? And... First, you go out and you have to get what we call in the family mushroom eyes. Now, my wife, Tara, turns them on instantly, mushroom eyes, right? Which is the ability to look through the forest floor and scan for a very specific shade and shape and spot that thing amid literally tens of thousands of objects that look similar. Mm -hmm. 
Once you get your mushroom eyes, that's still no guarantee that the mushroom is edible or even the mushroom you're looking for. But first you have to get your mushroom eyes. Then you fill up the, fill up the, the receptacle with all the mushrooms that you're gathering. You're pretty sure, because you know what you're looking for, that they're all right. But you don't then just wash them and put them in the stew. You could die, <laughs> right? You could, it would be bad. Then you carefully go through each one. You cut off the base. You cut them in half. You check them for, you know, parasites and all this kind of stuff. And any, and the rule in our family is if you're not 110% certain, you throw it away, right? So all of that is that process of distillation. We right. still haven't started cooking yet. Okay. Then you look at the recipe. Do you have everything you need for the recipe? If you do, then start cooking. Okay. But don't tell yourself you don't go into the woods holding the recipe <laughs> no, it's not, it's right. right so this yeah. is what i'm trying to say cool. to you is yep. avoid those things uh because they're tools of distillation they're not tools of creation well right? i'm i am avoiding them and again i'm feeling pretty good about where i am so yeah. I'll, I'll report back i'll let you know where i'm at next time i look forward to that now right. this is all in my mind because of course uh the danger in the detail stuff is about a distillation of storytelling process that's the basic rules it fits onto one sheet of paper which was What's taken me 15 years, basically, of refining, refining, refining is I've told myself, and I don't know where I even got this idea, Dan, but now that I've told the story of that stuff in the ditch, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's where it came from. I convinced myself that it could, if it couldn't fit on one piece of 11, eight and a half by 11 paper, the rules were no good. Because you had that exact that example to start with, and on the I cards. just am now realizing it. <laughs> Thank you for this therapy session no because problem. I'm just now realizing where that obsession came from. Yeah, it's because like a whole world opened for me. Right on one card. On I mean, you had multiple cards, but there was like each one represented a new world, right? A new world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a new world. And so this idea of the blank piece of paper. You're writing a screenplay, right? That's the form. But story is the medium here. And if you're going to find elements to go into your story, don't worry about where they come from or why they occurred to you or even if you're lifting it from someone else in that first draft yeah. feeling. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're distilling it down, you'll shave away everything that wasn't yours. You'll shave away all the parasites. You'll shave away all the stuff. You'll start to follow ingredients. And, by the way, if we use that ingredients analogy, the cooking analogy, there are lots of different recipe books. Right, True. because there are a lot of different tastes out there, and you'll find the one that you think best suits the kind of storytelling. And when we first brainstormed Meat House in that first hour, the idea is what stuck with you, not the recipe we had set. True. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, I think uh, yeah, that sounds good. Cool. What else are we going to talk about, Dan? I think we're done. We almost uh, well, it's forty-five minutes. I think so. We're that was pretty, pretty good. Okay, so if we talk about if we is there anything else you want to, like yeah. what's coming up next or whatever you want. To <sighs> well, what I spent the afternoon working on it was um, a cover for the new Laundryman. Oh yes, Kickstarter because uh, Stephen Call and uh, Lyndon Rochenka started their Laundryman Kickstarter, and I thought like most Kickstarters they would be slow out the gate. <laughs> and I had told them, oh, I'll do a cover for you as a stretch goal. But I was like, I got weeks before you're going to hit that stretch goal. Boom, two days later, it's like <laughs> yes. the, right Congrats, away. Guys. If yeah. they unlock one more stretch goal, then I have to have given them work that I didn't think really they would need for two weeks. So hats off to them. The Laundryman is a really cool 
a really cool project, really great comic. You can back it on Kickstarter depending on when this comes out. I mean, funded, but it's still uh, funded very quickly, but also uh, get your copy while you can, right? Yeah, because I think this is, and um, it's their stories to tell, but there's a lot of cool things happening uh, behind the scenes as a result of Laundryman that I think um, is just a real testament to like making stuff up, putting it down. And once it exists, just like we were talking about, then you can show it to people and make something of it. Yeah. So cool. Well, that's new. What's new for me? This has been Super Pulp Science encouraging you um, that if you throw your children's role-playing game stuff out of for fear that Satan himself has inculcated himself into your family life, make sure you put it in a waterproof bag so that the next person that finds it can have a sure fun time and perhaps start an entire lifetime of storytelling. This has been Super Pulp Science. I'm Gregory Kamichuk, encouraging you to join the fight and make comics or games or movies. Mm-hmm.